Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. Tonight is Season 2, Episode 111 for April 21st, 2023. Flushing it all the way to the bank. And here's a quick rundown of all of the articles that we're going to talk about. The first one is a poker player hits a royal flush and didn't even realize it. I have words about this. Tabletop city builders are... Uh, with all the chaotic freedom of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, I guess, um, our um, new obsession of uh, one of the writers that we aggregate from. Uh, so many Kias and Hyundais have been stolen that uh, attorney, state attorneys general are calling for a recall. I don't know, maybe a security system. There's a memo that exposes renewable energy trade groups and their close ties to fossil fuel industry Four more Ubi or Ubisoft games that are heading to Steam. Thieves took $15 million worth of gold and other valuables, probably not nickels, um, from uh, Canada's largest airport. You have to watch the other shows, episodes to catch on to that one. Subscription fatigue is real and has overwhelmed consumers and pushback is starting to happen. We'll see if that ever solves anything. Schools are beginning to throw out expired Chromebooks because, well, Chromebooks. And the cute, cozy cat game that they've been waiting for for six years is finally coming out. Oh my goodness, the AI just exploded. A fantastic new city building mobile game could teach PC city builders a few tricks. Let's take a look at that later. And Chile is nationalizing its lithium production, vowing, quote, no more mining for the few. Let's get into it. Hello, hello. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI. Let's see if the visualizer, we're, 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 we kind of rushed today's start. So let's see if the visualizer is going to work. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. Hooray. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, and I might be a little hot because I've got an extra light above me today. Mea culpa. I'm sorry. I, there's, uh, like I said, I rushed qu quite a bit. Um, that said, Let's just talk about the news. Let's just get straight on into it because we're running late and I don't want to really keep everybody running later. I'm going to be hanging out probably late tonight. So let's see what the news has for us. The very first article. Oh. Every once in a while, I wonder why I end up down there. Anyway, it's in the rounders gear. Uh, channel which is a, a channel dedicated to a when i say adult table games boy that provokes an interesting image but it has to do with poker gambling um, things like that adult table games because tabletop games can be anything and it runs a pretty broad gamut between yeah you know children all the way up to old mayors of uh, hometown so, yeah, I have to be a little bit more specific. <coughs> Pardon me. 
So a poker player hits royal flush and doesn't realize it and wins $192,000. Now they throw some stats in here. Uh, the chance of getting a royal flush in Texas Hold'em is 639,739 to 1 or about once in every 650,000 hands. That's No, each hand has that odd, not if you play 650,000 hands you're going to get a royal flush. That's not how the stats work, but I won't belabor that. But it says even the most diehard poker players uh, go their entire lives without getting one. That's again, because even if you did play 650, no, no, no. I said I wasn't going to soapbox about that. Anyway, a poker player in Chile just did that. Got a royal flush. Here's something though. <clears throat> even my friendly games if you didn't call your hand correctly, you did not win. Whatever it is you called your hand, that's what if you had a royal flush and you said that you only had two pair. Obviously, in Texas Hold'em, the odds of you having a royal flush and two pair are like astronomically high. But what I'm saying is if you say, if you look at the cards that are on the table and you say that you have two pair, but you really have a, a Royal flush, nobody on the table is going to sit there and go, no, 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 no. You've got a Royal flush. No, they're going to go, you called two pair. I have, you know, a full house. I'm, I win. Um, well, that's so, interesting. I didn't know that. But see, maybe my friendly game isn't as friendly as the rules at this or in Texas Hold'em. I mean, I've played many a Texas Hold'em competition hand, and I don't remember ever anybody ever calling out a, a hand incorrectly. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's somebody else that makes that determination at the table. Everybody goes, you've got a royal flush. I mean, why would you do that? If you call well, it wrong, you have to announce your hand. Well, I don't know of any time where they've called out the hand. It's just everybody knows what the hand is. Well, this person, they said he looked at them without much attention, continuing the conversation with his friend, eventually looking down at his cards. He realized that the board had given him a straight. He then turned over his whole cards. Um, and that's when the truth hit. It wasn't just a straight, but it was a royal flush. So it says while on his third hand, the man saw an acquaintance with the same or in the same southern city or from the same southern city uh, who was passing through the casino. And they greeted each other and started talking um, when the flop and the turn and the river all were dealt. So they didn't even pay any attention. But it says in order to prove it to her, he walked over to the table where the other players were still waiting. They began congratulating him again. And this is when she realized it was true. As they left, he shared his good fortune with the others. He gave each of the players uh, 1260 bucks um, and the casino staff a tip of 2520. That's interesting. Um, oh, what is that? Oh, he he was using his own um, denomination. So CLP one and yeah, CLP two. Um, right. Where where was he from? Chile. 
yeah so um interesting for chilean money yeah so let's see hold on hey sorry so i just learned something i didn't know um i thought that was something specific to poker but maybe it's something specific to chile yeah i don't know now see now i'm i'm kind of flabbergasted sorry for the dead air um and i'm not sure what's going on in the realm of the ai uh but anyway so it's that it's just interesting i thought that it was interesting there's more to this article but when you um click on the link to visit the source it's from casino.org eric gibbs put this article together um it's i i don't know uh, by the way that is the chilean peso yeah yeah um okay so this is i don't know it's a fun article 46 individuals uh, so there's a thing at the very end it says there have been several challenges to the practice over the years it says police raided watuga social lounge poker club last october on the orders of a da who was apparently ignorant of the laws according to the writer and there had been several challenges uh to the practice over the years because poker is pretty much legal for crying out loud uh, I, I don't know. I don't know the laws about this because I don't wherever I play, it's either a friendly game where everybody's just hanging out um, and, and not an enterprise um, or it is sanctioned competitive uh, Texas Hold'em. Um, anyway, the judge signed off on the DA's motion to dismiss that poker room case which had as much as $200,000 illegally seized in the raid. And as a result, 46 people have had their names cleared, although three others have or had previously accepted plea deals that are now on the books. Those should all be vacated because, um, quote, you know, no, no crime has been committed. Um, they'll re the 46 individuals that have been cleared will receive $360 they each paid as a fine and the fate of the $200,000 that was still on the table. And they're now going to have to fight to get that returned as well. What did they call that? When they take like money from something, I can't remember what they call that now. Um, civil forfeiture. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's hustle on to the next article. Oh, and before I do that, let me throw this into the chat. Although, um, if you were here during the uh, startup of the today's show, you probably saw me throwing the <laughs> URLs into the chat to begin with, because I load them up over at uh, omtown.showbot.tv. Uh, feel free to follow the links either there or in the show notes or over at hometown.showbot.tv or in the podcast show notes, they're everywhere. Um, and I try now and uh, give a little description about what the URL is because everything seems to shorten the URLs and they just kind of truncate them, even though they keep them active You kind of lose some context because you can't read the URL. Um, anyway, and uh, I don't do relays or anything like that. Uh, or URL shorteners or anything. 
Okay, so the next article is over on the Warcrafters channel. And it's these tabletop city builders with all the chaotic freedom of D&D are the author's new obsession. Um, you know, I don't even like saying this phrase that they'll simp for a good city builder. Don't ask. Um, just as they are for a tasty tabletop role-playing game, put them in front of city skylines or urbex city builder and they'll construct you a utopia. Uh, challenge them to create fascinating character for the tabletop role-playing game and you can bet they'll come up with a backstory even the most advanced large language models couldn't dream of. Pet electric sheep and all. I, I don't know where this person is going, but um katie wickens is the author over at pcgamer.com has some neat artwork ariel norris and shannon co ko cow co i don't know how to pronounce the last name anyway they can't believe no one told them collaborative city building tabletop rpgs were a thing and so they're ending up they they start talking about um, these table city building tabletop games. Uh, it all started a few years back when they were introduced to a quiet year, a tabletop colony city builder by Avery Alder. Um, and, uh, during the gameplay, you're asked to draw out new features as they're invented, erected or discovered. Let me pause this because uh, it has nothing to do with the article. Um, each term, Players choose between two options for uh, every random prompt in the game uh, season charts, which you work through with a standard pack of playing cards. It's a different, it's a bit different to say the dice you would use for a random roll in D&D. It means you never run into the same event twice, which is kind of interesting. I guess this is something that you would draw. But right, I wonder it. if that's from the same artist. I mean, I like the artwork in this article. Uh, Ariel Norris is the author. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting game, but I think that you would have to be an artist or at least an aspiring one. It's called The Quiet Year. Um, so maybe y'all y'all like it. Um, you can get a physical version of the game alders the quiet year for just shy of $50 American or 40 uh, pounds um, in the buried without ceremony store <clears throat> or a PDF version of it for just shy of $8 and $6 respectively uh, six pounds. Sorry. Um, and they said something about I'm, I'm sorry. Did you say Street Magic comes in at $15, which is another game um, for the PDF, though there's a small pool of community copies available for those who can't afford to pay the full price. Interesting. So go and check that out. But be sure to follow the link and you'll get taken to this site um, just by clicking on the visit the source. And in the in this article, there is uh, more detail and links to the um, other articles and games. Okay, let's um, let's go on to the next article, if you don't mind. Okay, so the next article is in the Daily News Show. 
So many Kias and Hyundais are being stolen using just a screwdriver and a USB cord that 17 state attorneys general are calling for a recall on millions of vehicles. And uh, Omtown has um, brought this up several times now um, that Hyundais and Kia seem to be the most stolen vehicle, I think, on the planet at this point. Um, a group of 17 state. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you remember, though, a time when state attorneys general were calling for a recall? No, I don't. <laughs> it really stands out to me because of that. Yeah, um, like crime in general, maybe where they all you know, band together to try and stop like, uh, you know, the drug epidemic or some outbreak of violence or something like that, um, but never Never a bunch of cars being stolen. Aaron McDade is the author over at businessinsider.com who wrote the article. And it says they cite a strong, uh, a string of thieves and sorry, a string of thefts um, in the last year, which seemed to be inspired by TikTok videos. Huh? TikTok again? Hmm. I mean, that's really uh, not a good thing to be putting out there, but I suppose everything is out there. Yeah, really. So uh, specific models of the cars do not have engine immobilizers, which make them easier to steal. I'm not sure about I haven't looked into why these are being stolen so easily. Um, but, you know, again, security always seems to be the afterthought. And when millions of cars start getting disappeared, at some point you have to have that oh shit moment, you know, oh, oh shit, I better put some security apparatus into place here to stop. And it should be just mandated, Dunk, you know, every car since I think it's 2015 has had to have a backup camera. Um, every car has to have seat belts. Every car has to have airbags nowadays. Um, I think every car, unless you are exempt because of the age, um, has to be, in all of these cases, unless it's an antique, it has to have all of these safety features. Um, and uh, they have to have um, uh, anti-lock braking systems and other things, certain design specs that um, are for safety. Uh, up until recently, you couldn't have just uh, cameras for side view mirrors, um, which is one of the things that prevented a custom car that I was working on. Um, so uh, all of this is just to say that security needs to be part and parcel to it, not just a, I volunteer to have my car uh, a little bit theft resistant, eh, you know, uh, but you know, for an extra $200, we'll add security. I don't know what the limit is. I don't know why there's not an some type of mandate. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, this just, again, these are not um, like we've talked about in other articles. I mean, this is modern. So this seems like such a basic item. This isn't from, say, the first round of cars where they didn't have uh, significant safety features or uh, security features. Yeah, so, and and I think this is the, the key ingredient here. Certain Hyundai models between 
2016 and 2021, and some Kias between 2011 and 2021, so a, a, a five and a 10 year gap, which, yeah, I guess, you know, these are older vehicles up until 2020, for crying out loud, you would, I think most people would go, you know, a, a three-year-old car is, like, nowadays people are, like, uh, new every two. <laughs> um, I don't think a three-year-old car is really old, but <coughs> um, some people, I guess, would consider it. It's certainly not sans technology, you know, it's not without technology. So why doesn't it have an, a, an engine immobilizer where if it doesn't recognize its key, it doesn't start? And that's what the whole thing is all about. You can just walk up to it and jam a screwdriver into it and turn the ignition. Videos show how to steal the cars, the detailed instructions for how to unscrew the steering column with a screwdriver and insert a USB cable into the ignition. Okay. Uh, to get it to start appeared on TikTok in early 2020 and has since been widely circulated, prompting a spike in stolen vehicles. I don't know, maybe if we were teaching people ethics and giving people opportunity and having people realize that we're all um, a member of society and we shouldn't steal things in an attempt to, well, in a violation of the social contract. But, you know, goofy young people do goofy young people things. And sometimes it's peer pressure and sometimes it's chasing clout and sometimes it's uh, just because they're bored. So go and find something to do. I mean, nobody is exempt from that, you know, uh, doing stupid things. Um, you, nobody is exempt throughout their life. You know, we may that get is, older and that forget. True. That may be more true than the maximum. You know, there's only two certainties or something. Taxes and yeah. death. <laughs> yeah, death and taxes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a third one. Sometimes humans do stupid shit. You heard anyway, it here first in hometown. <laughs> yeah. Man, I remember these things. A woman places a steering wheel lock on her 2017 Kia Sportage at her home in Denver, Colorado. And this is in March 14th, 2023. I remember when these were the all the rage like 25 years ago. Right. Um, I mean, that wasn't a, a current thing, but... And... I guarantee you the lockpicking lawyer would giggle at that. <laughs> That's right. How many seconds would it take? Yeah, two. You know, the guy actually has created his own lockpicking sets, even custom versions uh, to break into systems that are non-standard lockpicking lock uh, methodologies, like uh, cylinder um, picks and this little feeler gauge where it looks like you're trying to tickle the lock. It's weird. But anyway, the person started out as a, an attorney and then said, you know, I can make more money on YouTube <laughs> as the lock picking lawyer. That's not what they said. I don't know what their motivation was for switching over to lock picking. Um, I'd love to know a, the backstory on that, but <laughs> yeah, we, we can watch it. Maybe we can hunt it down and look. Um, anyway, the company has also said that it shipped over 47,000 steering wheel locks to thousands of Kia owners, as well as to hundreds of local law enforcement agencies to distribute them and a software update and over 165,000 have already had the update installed. 
you know, I'll, I'll just never, the bigger issue is societal, but whenever I talk about this kind of stuff, I always get called naive. So, um, yeah. So who all signed it? Let's go down the, the States, California, Arizona, Colorado, uh, Connecticut, Illinois, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Washington, and the District of Columbia. That's it? I, I know. Don't... I mean, I don't know. Why wouldn't you sign that? <laughs> right. We yeah, want our citizens' uh, cars to be stolen. Regularly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Just make it a TikTok. You know what needs to happen? Somebody needs to here, let me back up. Somebody needs to start a TikTok meme um where the objective is to be a positive influence on society. And maybe everybody'll take advantage of it, you know? Oh, it, I it'll see. go like, viral. That would be the next challenge or whatever. Yeah. Be a positive influence on society. I kind of went silent because but wow, that's <laughs> how would that fare? <laughs> yeah, help go help somebody build a house, plant some trees, pick up some litter, recycle something. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, help uh, someone who is struggling in some way. You know, do some positive, but nah. Yeah, a lot of people. I don't know. I think that there is a whole lot worse out there. And if everybody did something positive, then there would be a whole lot less worse out there because we'd be able to focus on the really bad stuff and stop it because there isn't any other petty, stupid stuff. All right. Well, anyway, the next article is over in the Daily News show and it's a memo exposes renewable energy trade groups, close ties to fossil fuel industry. <laughs> Col color me shocked. I don't know. The American Clean Power Association has been billed as the nation's top renewable energy trade group, but lurking beneath its green luster is a dirty reality. Uh, I had somebody uh, phrase an organization that I know about um, as a shiny red apple that's wormy at the core. Oh my, that's rather vivid. So that's according to, and that phrase has nothing to do with this article. It's just an anecdote. Um, that's according to the revolving door project, which published a memo on Thursday to expose what it calls ACP's close ties to the fossil fuel industry and in all of the above energy agenda that allows for massive new fossil fuel development and environmental damage. As long as clean energy also benefits. So it's like the carbon scrubbing thing, you know? Um, where they just pay a bunch of money to offset the carbon, uh, credit kind of their carbon footprint, instead of just doing it cleaner, finding a way to do it cleaner. Um, they just pay money out of the enormous profits for their large carbon footprint. And there's another, I don't know if I actually selected the article or not, but it, it's, it's akin to finding somebody who made a million dollars 
only three hundred thousand dollars. Well, right. they made seven hundred thousand exactly. dollars. Right. Where is the penalty in that? Um, right. Or the um, or the deterrent, right? For yeah. I mean, if the cost to produce was even two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, the worst that happened is they got a smaller margin, but they didn't get punished. They just didn't get as much of a reward. So this article is over at commondreams.org by Kenny Stansel. It says um, down here, America needs a strong political force fighting for renewable energy, but American clean power doesn't fit the bill. To take just one recent and prominent example of ACP's pro-fossil fuel advocacy, the group has lobbied for HR1, the so-called Low Lower Energy Costs Act, passed last month by House Republicans. Progressives have condemned the legislation they call the Polluters Over People Act, a sprawling package of 15 separate bills and two resolutions primarily aimed at deregulating fossil fuel uh, production and exports as a giveaway to big oil that threatens to exacerbate the climate and biodiversity crisis crises, um, while saddling U.S. households with higher energy costs. This is what I have always found just horrific for society because it's literally called the lower energy costs act and framed with the public as a way to lower costs to the public. And, and so when somebody calls out the bullshit, they go, well, no, it is. It's lowering energy costs. Yeah. To the providers. (laughs) And then, and, and all that is, is expanding their margins because they're still charging ever-increasing producer price costs. So it, it's, it's like the Freedom Act, which was very oppressive, or the Espionage Act, which was framed as stopping espionage, but it was actually like integrating it into... yeah. Uh, it's so frustrating. How about the Truth in Labels Act? How about the Honest Politicians Act? How about uh, the the Politicians uh, Suit as NASCAR Fire Suit Act? Sorry, but that one would never pass the Honest Politicians Act. Oh, right. No, I, it's like these other a-holes that are in uh, state senates where they cancel lunches for people or for children and then give themselves a higher stipend you're horrible horrible soulless human beings you know look in a look in a mirror people look in a mirror and understand you're a member of society you were a child once and, and you know i know that it's really hard to look back and understand that you were a child once But just because you came from a position either horrible and you never want to empower that again. And so you're lashing out by taking away a benefit or you never needed it. And so you're blind to the idea that somebody might need it. And then while you're taking it away and... Every state can handle doing this. Every state can handle do that, doing this. I guarantee it. Every state uh, could give their children free lunches. There's enough money in the system. 
But while you're taking it away, you're also giving yourself a raise. Do you see how <laughs> evil that is? If you want to sit there and talk about something as ephemeral as souls and spirit and evil and good, taking it away from children and children and giving it to yourself is evil. What does that have to do with this? It's because just 10 minutes ago, or maybe five minutes ago, I said the, the act is called lower energy costs act, but it has done none of that except lower the cost and maximize the benefit to the corporations that are providing the services. It's the constant, it's the transfer of wealth from the middle class to the upper class, from the consumer price index to the producer price index. This is the problem. Just because there's money on the table doesn't mean you have to make a mad dash for it. Let the people have more money so they can invest it so that they can get some bite at the apple. But you are rotten at the core. So I'm glad that there are articles like this that call out this bullshit. If there is something more to it and somebody knows something that this article isn't actually espousing properly, then feel free to come on here and I will throw you up there, you know, right below the AI's visualizer and you can talk about it. Feel free. Come and talk to me. Um, I'm extremely open-minded about this stuff. If, if there is something wrong with what's being discussed, then let's talk. I've got a platform here. Yeah, may not be massive, but it's still. Anyway, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, has described HR1 as dead on arrival. In the off chance that it does reach the Oval Office, President Joe Biden, hardly a friend to the climate justice movement, according to Green Groups, has vowed to veto what the White House characterizes as a thinly veiled license to pollute. That would take uh, uh, us backwards. Yeah. Meanwhile, though, he's opening up drilling in Alaska and stuff like that, from what I understand. Yeah, I don't know. Um, there is a lot in this article, so I would suggest clicking the link and uh, going over and reading it. Um, did you find anything in it as we were going through? No, I don't. Um, I don't think I have anything else really to add. Um, yeah. I mean, but I think this is one of these that it's worth probably reading the full article and, and getting the, the full context and think beyond the terms that you see, right? Yeah, because, uh, well, like trust, but verify. So mm -hmm. if you see if you see an act that by its title is all positive rainbows and, uh, you know, I was <laughs> like unicorn poo, um, then uh, look at it, read it, go and read it. Um, and you'll, you'll usually find out that there's something else in there because people like that tie riders to it. Um, so anyway, it says well, remote. It's always important to know like who the sponsors are or yeah. who are pushing for something. Cause that tells you a lot about what it is or who benefits. Right. Yeah, so, and and I'll leave with this statement that they said, supporting an all of the above energy strategy to expand fossil fuels is like pushing for healthier school lunches with a side of cigarettes, said 
Reese. Uh, Congress and the White House must ignore ACP's fossil fuel uh, boosterism, reject Mankin or Mansion, um, and the GOP's dirty energy pol- uh, packages, and support renewable energy to help people, not polluters. Um, I think it's interesting that they talked about school lunches since you did. Oh, yeah. And that's buried deep in this article, actually, at the very end. Um, so, yeah, I always look, peel back the layers of the onion and, and grab some context there. Um, there's always something more. So let's keep on hustling. The next article is over in the Warcrafters channel. Um, four more Ubisoft game or Ubisoft games are headed to Steam this summer. Ubisoft began moving its PC releases away from Steam in early 2019 when it announced The Division 2 uh, would be an exclusive to the Epic Game Stores uh, or Game Store and uh, Ubisoft's own storefront, of course. It extended that deal a few months later, uh, announcing uh, epic exclusive plans for Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time Remake, Far Cry 6, Rainbow Six Extraction. There's a lot of sixes in this. Um, the Settlers and then Riders Republic. Many epic exclusive games. Um, game releases are timed. So there's more to this article. So let's go over to uh, PCGamer.com. And Andy Chalk is the author. Is Why does that look like? Yeah, I was from... going to say, is that like Moff Gideon? Weird. Um, Does okay. it look like Moff Gideon to you? Yes. Okay. Um, so, um, so four more games. Maybe it's because... Are you it... impressed? Y- yes. I am. So Far Cry 6, Riders Republic, Rainbow Six Extraction, and Monopoly Madness are coming to Steam. All right. Well, that yeah. seemed like a rather brief article. Well, I mean, there's a lot more here. Uh, I just kind of jumped to the nuts and bolts of it. Um, but I, I have um, heard that more games are coming to um, Steam because it's it basically opens the door for more customers coming to Ubisoft. So I'm not sure why, what I don't like, what I really despise is if I buy it on Steam, then it doesn't work through the Ubisoft loader. So it's just like books. If I buy the exact same title in Amazon, I don't get it from any other place. The only source that I can read it from, if it's an ebook, is from that one place. So there's like... There's no distributed, and this is where NFTs would come into existence um, as being an asset instead of being something I think is kind of a joke um, and all about fear of missing out, speculation, profiteering kind of thing. Um, I want to be able to buy a movie on one platform and be able to watch it wherever it is because that money arguably is going to the the creator of that movie. It just happens to have a price point somewhere in a range and access to it provided from by anybody who has it. So like if I buy it from Amazon, it's the same price, except they may have 
argued a different margin on the other side. So the wholesale price is lower for Amazon and then they sell it at markup, right? But if I go somewhere else, like the Microsoft store to buy a movie, I have to buy it again. Which is, seems crazy. Yeah. Because why isn't available as physical media, right? You'd only have to buy it once. Right. And then I could carry it around wherever I want, but we've lost that. Different places or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And ultimately I could gift it to somebody or get or sell it to somebody if it's of value. Hence physical media is dead and we've lost first sale doctrine and we actually don't even own anything. If it's electronic, it's a perpetual license to consume it. And if we die, it's probably just going to disappear because the rights to ownership dissipate upon your death because it'll go into uh, whatchamacallit. Man. Starts with a P. <laughs> I cannot believe my brain just shut down. I'm sorry. I, I Probate. My God. So everything that is you unless you have a will goes into probate and then the state decides what goes on with it and and uh, they find your heirs and what's going to happen to electronically owned items like software and music and movies and books well um new wills have provisions for things like that like your electronic accounts and um but I don't know. And by the way, I think the AI is not running at 100% power today. All right. Well, I'll get the taser. <laughs> it okay. can only help. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's keep going. Um, the next article is over in uh, the mobile channel. I don't think I'm working at full power either. Uh, thieves took $15 million worth of gold and other valuables from Canada's largest airport. That happened on Thursday, apparently. Um, millions of dollars worth of gold were stolen in a robbery at Canada's largest uh, airport, authorities disclosed on Thursday. Uh, this is uh, over at Quartz or QZ.com. The author is Anya uh, Bhattacharya. I gave it a shot. Um, oh God, really? I thought we didn't have this issue. Um, anyway, the gold and value valuables worth 20 million Canadian daughter dollars, daughters, um, dollars or 14.8 million us dollars were offloaded from a plane at Pearson international airport in Ontario and stored at a secure cargo holding facility. This is like oceans 11 level stuff. It is. I mean, it's not obviously good that there was a heist, but it sounds like it could be a good booby plot. <laughs> the bank sending the shipment was TD, um, while the airline was Air Canada, according to a confidential memo shared with the Canadian Daily. Uh, the recipient bank was not mentioned. Wow. That's so pretty they, interesting. They, they talk about the the airport. It says heist of interest. Canada's 1952 airport gold heist. This is not the first time gold has been stolen from this airport. Mm. Back in September 1952, out of 10 boxes of gold headed for Montreal, only four showed up. The missing boxes contained 
$215,000 in gold, around $2 million today. Okay, so that's kind of interesting to me. I don't know how many airports have had gold heists. I suspect not a lot. But what this makes me think is that this is like another generation from the original heist because that's very specific. You know, <laughs> why wasn't gold stolen from another airport or whatever? I don't know. That's interesting. Or maybe it, it was widely reported, and so maybe I'm just looking for a connection that there isn't. That that crime has never been solved 71 years ago. Maybe they need to look for who's been in prison or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's a long period of time. But <laughs> I like this one because I remember this. Uh, over the course of several months in 2011 and 2012, a team of thieves stole maple syrup worth almost $18 million from the province of Quebec's strategic maple syrup reserve. And then they sold the illicit product. Wow. Apparently one of them was caught. There was a maple syrup reserve. It's a, str a strategic uh, reserve uh, over in Quebec. Come on, Canadian maple syrup? For crying out loud, that's some... That stuff is like gold. Let's move. Hence the heist. <laughs> Hence the heist, yeah. You know, I think I know who took it, boo-boo. Anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. Um. So... Subscription fatigue. This is over at Hatch Ideas. Um, overwhelmed consumers push back against monthly fees. I hate being nickel and dimed by subscription fees. And I... I, I, I hate being $100 to death or $20 to death. I mean, it, it's, it adds up. It does. Everything's a subscription now. It certainly does. Subscription fatigue is growing is a growing problem for consumers and companies alike. While subscriptions offer many benefits, their sheer number can be overwhelming, leading to decreased customer loyalty. Um, this is over at entrepreneur.com. By well, it says readwrite.com, so there is no um, actual person. Um, the trends in great programming and high demand for these streaming services catapult its popularity. But as with all things, there's a side, another side to it. For example, there's the growing concern that the sheer number of such services could cause consumer fatigue and rejection. But is that true? Well, they look at and they look at it in depth uh, at a in uh, an article about subscription fatigue and how it affects the media industry and what. Uh, mistakes companies make that could end their sweet ride. Well, DirecTV is driving me up a freaking wall because they are up, they are upping the price. I started out at thirty five dollars as an early adopter of their service, and I'm now paying seventy five dollars um, within I five mean, years. That's quite a price hike. Yeah, uh, every it's year it's on, every <laughs> year it's five bucks. Yeah, I mean, it's more than a 100% increase. Yep. Or, I think so. Um, well, at this point, it is, because I started out at 35, and it's now at 70, so or 75, I think it is. Right, I forgot the exact numbers. That's why I kind of hedged whether it was yeah. 100% or not. Yeah, so they talk about mistakes of companies, too many steps, reduced variability, and lack of novelty, no accumulated value. Um, so what is subscription fatigue? 
It's when consumers become overwhelmed by the number of platforms they subscribe to, and as a result, they become difficult for people to track them all. Plus, the constant stream of monthly payments can adversely affect their finances because you just get nickel and dimed. Um, and it's very frustrating. And not to mention, like what happened with me, I canceled one of my cards because it was, let's just say, lost or stolen. And uh, now I'm waiting for services that I've been on auto pay to notify me that the, the service is ending because some of them I pay a year in advance because I don't want to have to worry about it. And then you have to sit there and go, when did it renew? How, where is it? What is it? Who is it? Um, and it happened recently. So at any rate, overshare. Okay, so that's it for um, that article. Let's just move on. This next article is over in the Daily News Show. And this one is about schools that are beginning to throw out expired Chromebooks, creating piles of electronic waste, according to a report. There was another article about schools getting um, Chromebooks and they're starting to fail. Um, it might have been a similar riff off of this, um, but I nixed that one. Well, um, so did I. I actually started with that one and then selected this one instead um, because of the electronic waste piece. Yeah. So it says Chromebooks create tons of e-waste when they expire. A U.S. PIRG education fund report found replacement parts for Chromebooks are difficult to find between different designs per the report. Um, and beyond that, they're all one. It, it's basically one piece with everything soldered on uh, the, the main board. Uh, but let's let's just go on. But here I want to take a different tack with this. It's creating a lot of electronic waste. They're low cost, underpowered. They get you into the Google ecosystem. And then when they move into college, they have no freaking idea how to interact with business class equipment. This is doing a disservice to U.S. students. All U.S. students need a real operating system, a real uh, business class machine, one where they can install software that is designed for the business world. And when more than 70% of the market business, um, where your skills are, like it or not, folks, you're going through school so that you can become employable or you are you develop the skills necessary for you to start up a business and employ other people. And the first thing out of the gate is, do they have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to work in the workforce? So if somebody shows up with a Chromebook and they're supposed to be doing a job and they don't know how to save it as a Word doc or work in Excel or what PowerPoint is, they're already behind everybody else who actually got a real laptop because Chromebooks pull you straight into the Google ecosystem. Primarily you have to work hard to get into using word, Excel, PowerPoint, not to mention other programs beyond that. Well, and I personally find the Microsoft programs to be a lot use more user friendly than Google, but maybe that's just me. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, 
if you, I, I was going to say get indoctrinated into that ideology, into that perspective of Google, um, then you're fine with the app centric processes. You, you are trained in the workflow, but if you're trained in your grade school all the way up to college, the culture shock between 12th grade high school and your freshman year in college is staggering. And if you're a non-conventional student and you do this, you're in culture shock. And so you you come across in your own head as the dumbest person on the planet because you don't know how to install software. You don't know anything from networking. You don't know how to connect to Wi-Fi because the, the process is different for a PC than it is for a Chromebook. Um, it, installing software, for instance, is fundamentally different, you know? Um, and the power is dramatically different. So I, I hazard to say to people, step away from Chromebooks. They're doing, they're, they're designed to basically pull you into the online low power, low storage, uh, low control kind of environment. Um, so, and then when they fail, you know, it, they're so inexpensive. The cost to re repair them is the replacement cost of a brand new device. So out they go. Um, so it says Chromebooks are far cheaper than MacBooks or other high-end laptops. I don't know why they said MacBooks. It's a completely different world. Um, yeah. but three years later, the Chromebooks are reaching their expiration dates, leading to more e-waste. But this is standard. I mean, there's millions of computers are being released um, into, uh, what do you call it? Well, let's just say overseas countries for manual destruction and the, the components get pulled off of the board and metals are recovered, um, using a whole bunch of mechanisms. I'll just say that. But anyway, uh, it says here, a Google spokesperson told insider that uh, the tech giant is working with its hardware partners to increase the years of guaranteed support Chromebooks receive. And since 2020, uh, we now have eight years of automatic updates uh, up from five years in 2016. And they're always looking at ways um, to work with their device manufacturing partners to increase build, uh, increasingly build devices uh, across segments with post-consumer recycled and certified materials that are more repairable, blah, blah, blah. It's all marketing. Um, so yeah, I don't know, 250 bucks for a Chromebook 11a. It's hard to beat, um, when the lowest entry level laptop would be 500 to $650. Right. That's true. But it seems like it's maybe a short term gain because maybe it doesn't last as long and then in the long term, maybe it doesn't help the user out as much. Yeah. And remember, Chromebooks are using Chrome OS. They're not even using Windows. So you don't even have that. You don't have the dominant operating system uh, to interact with in a way that when you do end up having to use it, 
Um, and you will have to use it pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the reality of it is that you're going to have to treat Chrome OS more like Linux, but if you're a student, you don't have admin level access to your Chromebook. So you're not even learning Linux, which you can parlay into something like computer science or cybersecurity or, or IT um, server administration. You can focus. But what you're going to end up doing is going all through high school. If you have nothing but a Chromebook, not learning either full Linux or any windows. And then you're going to get this culture shock when you bounce into a college that says you have to use windows um, because that's what most colleges are teaching the, the windows and, and standard uh, uh, office productivity tool set, which is Microsoft. Okay. So let's go on to the next article. Um, this next one is, uh, in the Warcrafters channel, the cute, cozy cat game they've been waiting or watching for six years is finally coming out. Uh, and once again, the AI has exploded. Minico's Night Market, a game about earning a living, playing with cats and hanging out with the sun god, really impressed the authors when they first looked at it in July of 2017, and they remained impressed. And they checked it out again in November of that same year. And for the record, that's not a typo. It was 2017. That's what they say in the article. Now, six years down the road, it's finally got a release date, September 26th, 2023. Let's hope that there's something over here. Okay. So Andy Chalk over at PCGamer.com put the article together. And it's called Minico's Night Market, which is set to debut on PC in September. I'm going to hit play in mute this real quick. You have to hear the music. That just sounds like it would be a cat game. Well, yes, but it's not right. It's your no. background music. That's yeah, that's the background music that I'm playing. Okay, well here, this is Minico's Night Market. I can't play the audio because I always get dinged. So listen to the dulcet tones of Marowat. So for for those who are listening to the podcast, it looks like it's watercolor pastel uh, drawings. Um, what do you call that style? You know, Japanese style? Yeah, I was going to say it's definitely Asian um, style oh yeah, that's definitely that stylized water. Oh, what is it? There's a name for it. Now I've forgotten it. Anyway, it's this is a really neat. It's almost like a paper cutout animation style um, using some uh, more like watercolor pastel style um, artwork. Um, but it's pretty it's, cool. It reminds me of something. I don't mean the game, but something about the art style, but I can't think of what it is exactly. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't really compare it. Hmm. Wish I could. 
Yeah, it almost reminds me of like a puppeteering kind of style. Yes, I would agree. They had a little stage um, presented, a stage scene on here, and that's what triggered that kind of memory. Um, looks or maybe fun. Like a kid's picture book or something. Like it just, I, I don't know. It yeah. Has something reminiscent of uh, another format. So it looks like it's going to be coming out for the Nintendo Switch and PC September 26, 2023, and then PlayStation 4, 5, Xbox One on October 26th, um, 2023. So the a month later. So there you have it. Ta-da. <clears throat> I'm not sure what the price is going to be. It looks neat, but if you're a cat lover, you're probably going to want to uh, scoop this up. Did they say what the price is? No. I didn't see the price in the article. <laughs> Pardon me. I'm sorry for the cough. Yeah, I don't see a price. But we can take a look and, and maybe we'll talk about it later. Okay, so we only have two more articles. Uh, this next article is um, titled... Uh, this fantastic new city building mobile game could teach PC city builders a few tricks with the exception of a few or a couple of poker apps and puzzle games. It's rare that the author ever play games on their phone. They stick to the PC and steam deck for nearly all of their gaming needs. But yesterday they noticed that there's a city building mobile game called pocket city Two. Huh? I might actually have the original pocket city. Hold on one second. Let's let's see if I can actually get into this and, and pull it up here. I know this is not the best way to do a stream, but um, that sounds I like the name funny. of the game. Pocket City. Yeah, or Pocket City, too. Yeah, let me pull it up here. Oh, yeah, it is. I, I knew I owned it. Yeah, I own Pocket City, but not Pocket City, too. Um, Fun game, definitely. Um, so at any rate, uh, all they can say is, wow, this is an excellent city builder. It's not just the cities in Pocket City 2 that are satisfying to build and uh, that there are lots of little quests and stuff. There's things to do in the game. Yeah. Uh, so Christopher Livingston is the author of this. And they say that they'd love to see features from Pocket City 2 mobile game in more city building games on PC. Um, and I don't remember how long ago I purchased it, but it's $5.99 on uh, the Apple store right now. $4.99, right? Yeah. Let's see. I don't know if they're going to talk about. It says the first thing that you're not just a godlike being looking down in the city uh, from above is that you get to design your own mayoral avatar. What? I can... Create my own. I need to try this. <laughs> uh, yeah, because this one isn't working. Um, <laughs> uh, when you start playing, you choose your looks, pick out your clothing, and pop a fancy little top hat on your head. <gasps> my hat's over there. This game might be my spirit animal. It sure sounds like it. But I don't wear a top hat. It's a bowler. Um, then at any point while you're playing in City View, you can drag and drop your little mare into the city streets, just as if you were going on to Street View in Google. That's pretty cool. Um, and it's not just to have a look around at the street level, uh, which is cool enough. 
There are tons of things you can do in your city while exploring on your own two feet. That is quite a different pack on things. Pretty cool. Um, yep, that's the same logo. So it's the same exact. I'm looking at it right now. So Pocket City 2. It is five bucks. Ta-da. Yeah, maybe I'll have to get it. Oh, it's going to, it says, uh, they're also hopeful Pocket City 2 will come to PC someday. The original isometric Pocket City came to Steam a few years after its mobile launch. In the meantime, Pocket City 2 is available for mobile. And um, it says, here's another welcome twist. It's just $5 with no additional in-game purchases or microtransactions. That's reason enough to get it there. To get it. Yep. So it's by a company called Code Brew Games. Is a one-person development team. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm a slacker. All right. Let's move on to the next and the last article for tonight. I chose this because there's a lot of countries that are trying to seek lithium production. Um, and a lot of it seems to be in hostile regions. Uh, so, um, this is in the mobile channel. Chile is nationalizing new lithium production, vowing no more mining for the few Chilean president Gabriel Boric said he plans to nationalize the country's lithium production in a nationally televised, uh, address on Thursday. This is from quartz or QZ.com. Diego Lasarte, um, wrote this article and I, I don't know if uh, what's going to come of that. I don't know. And how does that compare to what we just saw out of the UK, I think was the last country we were talking about with lithium. Yeah. Cause that's a private public interaction. Whereas this is making they're nationalizing a, former private public partnership. Oh, absolutely. I think they're very different approaches, but it it catches my attention because we had just seen um, the other push uh, on the private side in the UK. Yeah, so they say here, while current contracts uh, with private companies will not be voided, Warwick expressed optimism that companies will negotiate new terms in line with the policy. Quote, this is the best chance we have at transitioning to a sustainable and developed economy. We can't afford to waste it, Boric said, citing the minerals role in scaling up electric vehicle uh, battery production. Huh. Wasted how? I mean, if it's a private company and it's producing the material, selling it and paying people, I think that it basically means taking those profits and distributing them, but. But how does that work with the private? And <laughs> I'm not quite sure how this, like I'm not catching the overall picture here, I suppose. Yeah. So Chile is the second largest discovered, pardon me. Um, Chile has the uh, second largest discovered lithium reserves behind Bolivia and the second largest lithium production behind Australia. 
Mexico recently announced it would nationalize all lithium reserves discovered in the Sonora Desert, while Bolivia state-owned mining company signed a billion-dollar deal with Chinese-owned Contemporary Amperex technology to partner in new lithium battery production. Um, somebody needs to come up with a cure for this lithium problem. Because this seems like it's being the biggest uh, fulcrum for change in uh, nationalized or state-sponsored control of a resource. Exactly. Huh. So what happened the last time Chile tried to nationalize a key mineral resource? Borg's decision builds on the legacy of his political idol Salvador Allende, or Allende? Is it Allende? Um, a major proponent of nationalization, Yande was elected on a platform of nationalizing major industries and wealth redistribution. Yeah, you say that around the United States and people's heads explode. It's okay in one direction, but not in the other. Sorry, that name reminded me there's an, an author with that name, but I don't know if there's any connection. So, um, Allende's plan which nationalized all mines, including U.S. copper interests, quickly drew the ire of the U.S. In response, America cut off all bilateral economic aid commitments uh, to Chile and actively supported Allende's political opponents. When that didn't work, U.S. President Richard Nixon gave the order to overthrow Allende's uh, democratic government, telling CIA Director Richard Helms to save Chile. Ah... <sighs> It didn't take oh, okay. long. I didn't know this was tied to Pinochet. Pinochet. Wow. Okay. Just three years into Hollande's presidency, Augusto Pinochet led a violent coup against his government, instilling himself as dictator and dismantling Hollande's economic reforms. Wow. Nixon and Secretary of State Henry Kissinger bragged about creating the conditions for the coup in a recorded phone call lamenting that they couldn't publicly take credit. Yet, uh, many people speak highly of Kissinger for some reason. Well, I don't huh. have much historical knowledge of this, but based on this article, that, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, something's wrong here. Well, okay, folks, that is it. That's what we ended with. Um, we need fundamental research to continue to find an issue, find a solution for issues like lithium and lithium production, because we're doing some pretty bad things trying to get our hands on this mineral. For crying out loud, we're building in uh, in sacred land and going to be tearing up the mountain um, or digging down deep into it and tearing it up underneath the surface either way it's still sacred land that um was taken from the original peoples of the united states and given to uh, industry just to take lithium out of the ground and now chile is taking a private entity and nationalizing it in the hopes of what 
benefiting the people, but somehow I think everybody's going to be equal, except some people are going to be more equal um, as opposed to industry paying people an actual livable wage off of the hard work of the people that have discovered the stuff and are producing the stuff. Um, and while I understand the dilemma between private ownership of uh, a, a resource within your territorial borders, there are humans that are doing it, all of that work and should be compensated for that work. I also agree that the margin doesn't need to be 75% and all that wealth concentrated in 10 people who are running the country or the company. I also don't want it. 10 people running the country, getting all of that nationalized wealth under their control. So the win-win here would be, oh, I don't know, ethical business, ethical government. <laughs> but I'm not. We can't have that. No, no, no. So let's go back to the very front page. Uh, the welcome sign, as I call it, of hometown, where you can just mash the little logo and it'll refresh. Although I did an update right when we started the show. But here we go. Real life pixel fold has seemingly leaked for the very first time. Oh, that looks interesting. I think you can flip it around and do all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to go down this road. I am going to say thank you very much for hanging out tonight. It's Friday night, Friday, Friday. And uh, this has been the hometown daily news show. I am Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com up there. And up above me can't see but the ai is there and we'll say good night to everybody yep good night hometown citizens and we will see you tomorrow night at 9 p.m eastern you know my lighting it looks like it's kind of oceanic right like it i know like, it's it's very well themed it's a pretty cool gradient and that's what that that's little bubbler my lighting is a little bubbler right there Right, it does actually. It makes it look more so because of the the movement. Yeah. I was thinking about getting more lights so that it's even denser. You know, the, the, the lighting, the effect is denser. This has nothing to do with the show or news or anything. But anyway, see you tomorrow, folks. 9 p.m. Eastern. Be here or be there or be square. That's from like the 50s or something. I'm going to go now. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>